Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hello, hello, and welcome. What should I say? Welcome back to the Indie Football Podcast. Uh, I'm Ed Malian, sports editor of The Independent, and... Alongside me, a return from Nizhny Novgorod, where he last night watched the game, uh, as I'm sure you heard on, on yesterday's podcast, uh, between Argentina and Croatia, is Miguel Delaney. Um, before I get chatting to Miguel, we've got a lot to talk about. Uh, I'm sure he'll want to spill over some more into Argentina. He's nodding at me intently. Uh, we've got Brazil-Costa Rica to deal with. Brazil, it looked like they were going to be held out by the Costa Ricans. Another frustrating performance for them against a team that was more preoccupied, I guess, with defending than anything else. And then at the last, Coutinho popping up with the goal. And then a second from Neymar in stoppage time, giving a, a nice veneer to that scoreline. With Nigeria versus Iceland in Volgograd, a surprise result there. And something that really blows open Group D, giving Argentina just that little... That little hope, but it's always the hope that kills you. And then Serbia-Switzerland, the late game from Kaliningrad, which was uh, arguably one of the games of the tournament so far. These are two teams that I, uh, I may have got stuck into the other day on the podcast. And uh, they bit back today. It was uh, a brilliant game there uh, where Serbia took the lead and Switzerland became the first team to complete a comeback, I think, in the 26th game of the World Cup so far. So without further ado, I'll send it up to St. Petersburg where Jack Pitbrook and Jonathan Liu will talk to Brazil Costa Rica before me and Miguel take over. One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Hi Ed, it's Jack. I'm here in our flat in St. Petersburg where I've just got back from Brazil to Costa Rica nil. Uh, that might sound like quite a straightforward win, but it really wasn't. Uh, Brazil, I mean, I'm sure you know the score. Brazil didn't score until the 91st minute. And before then, they'd found it pretty hard going to get past Costa Rica, who were just as disciplined, organized, hardworking and dirty as they were in the World Cup four years ago. Um, and there were amazing scenes of, t- like, the of relief, emotion, um, the release of tension when Brazil won at the end, so much so that Neymar collapsed to the ground in the final whistle, shaking with tears, head in his hands, on his knees, and had to be dragged to his feet by uh, Gabriel Jesus and Fernandinho and Miranda soon after. Um, So, I mean, like any Brazil game, it, it was a big emotional experience, but they did manage to get there in the end. Um, Johnny is currently cooking... But nevertheless, let's see what he thought about the game. Johnny, 
What did you think about the Brazil game? I thought Brazil did really well to hold it together. I think, you know, as we saw with Argentina the, uh, the previous night, uh, admittedly a much inferior team, it's very easy to kind of lose your heads when the prospect of disaster and, and you know, two points from two games would have been not, not far away from that uh, rears its head. And so I thought they stuck to their task pretty well. And Costa Rica really just seemed to kind of fade as the game went on and uh, Brazil started creating more and more chances, started turning the screw. And um, even though, you know, they left it quite late, I thought, it, I thought they were well worth the win. Yeah, I think it's been a World Cup where we've realised that, like, the bar is slightly... Uh, the bar is basically lower than we thought in terms of... Oh, no, sorry, the bar is higher than we thought in terms of, like, the performances we can expect from big teams against lesser ones. Like, no big team has recorded a big thumping win against the lesser side. Like, you know, England, France... Without chemical enhancement. <laughs> Indeed. Um, Brazil, France, England, obviously, have all found it difficult. Argentina are yet to win. Germany, as we speak, are yet to win. Um, so I think we have to accept that these big teams are going to, you know, they're not going to turn over teams in quite the way that we might expect. I guess the big question, given how open the World Cup now is, is whether Brazil have enough to beat another good team. Like, could they, you know, could they beat France or Spain or even Portugal or Mexico over um, in a tense match when things started to go against them, given what we now know about, what we found out about their fragility four years ago? I think it's, it's very difficult to get away from the 7-1 and the sense with Brazil that given how emotional they get when they win, if one thing could turn against them, then it would all start to go wrong. Um, and you know, it's a big part of that is Neymar, who is very much the kind of who sort of represents the emo the emotional, slightly fragile nature of the team, and yet also represents all their best sides as well. Um, he's coming for a lot of stick as usual. But Johnny, what did you think about Neymar today? Not their best player by a long stretch. Uh, I thought he. Um squandered quite a few chances that, that really would have opened the game up for Brazil a lot earlier. Um, there was, I mean, even in the first half, there was, uh, there were a couple of one-on-ones where he, he basically had a little bit of a heavy touch and I, I thought Coutinho was brilliant, um, but ultimately it was, you know, at the end, kind of not the 97th minute, Neymar sort of got his goal, he got his moment. So while all the focus was on him, I didn't, I didn't think it was his greatest game actually. Yeah, I kind of, I sort of half agree with that. Like, I think that, I, I do agree that Neymar, Neymar's touch was bad. Like, he, he did look like someone who's only played one game after three and a half months out. Like, there were two or three times in the first half where he would overrun the ball or give it away. With the, and actually, uh, the chance that Costa Rica had to go 1-0 up in the first half, which I think Borges missed, came from Neymar giving the ball, the be- giving the ball away in midfield, conceding a free kick, and then Costa Rica attacked. That said, I did think he, I think he improved a lot in the second half. I think he stopped coming to chase for the ball at the halfway line. Uh, he starts to play high and wide on the left, trying to stretch play, you know, knowing that he might not get the ball, but that it would, it would be better for the team. And he took a massive kicking, like he always does. Um, yeah, that's, def- that's definitely worth noting. He got, he got a real, um, yeah, he basically got, got some proper treatment um, from Costa Rica. And I, th- I think it was definitely a more mature performance than we saw against Switzerland. Um, where I think at times he was, he, he was like a little, he, he treated it almost like a, like a futsal game or something. Um, yeah, this was, this was definitely a more mature performance from him. I think, I think we, we still, we're still waiting to see the real Neymar. Yeah, I'm, I agree with that. Although, as much as I did like parts of Neymar's performance today, there were bits in the second half where he reminded me a bit of 
a 10-year-old who had organised a game of football for his birthday and who needed to score a goal because it's his birthday. There was that bit right near the end, which, you know, neither of us actually saw the first time because, you know, we, we, we were busy writing. But this was right, right in the 97th minute where he basically did a little bunny hop over his head. Yeah, he did a, 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 yeah, a scorpion kick over, I think it was Yeltsin Tejada. So this was on 94 minutes. Brazil were meant to be, like, closing out the game, trying to see out the win. They're only 1-0 up. There's about three added minutes left to play. And Neymar, instead of holding the ball in the corner, does a rainbow kick over defender's head. Now, it worked, so nothing bad came of it. But imagine if he'd lost the ball and Costa Rica had gone down the other end and, and scored. And I, I actually think that one of the reasons why Neymar was so emotional at the end is that he wanted this to be about him. And he thought it was going to be about him. One, when he went through on goal on 72 minutes and then hit wide, disappointingly. And then, when he was awarded a penalty, and he thought he was going to get to win the game, and then the penalty was rescinded by VAR. And all of a sudden, the kind of, that moment was taken out of his hands. Um, and when Coutinho scored the crucial goal, like the goal that put Brazil 1-0 up on 91 minutes, the move went Marcelo's cross, Firmino's header, Gabriel Jesus flick, and Coutinho finish. And Neymar was just kind of stood at the, end of the at the edge of the box doing nothing. And I mean, it's easy to read too much into these things, but you do wonder whether Neymar was thinking, well, this was, you know, I want this to be about me. I want to win the game. Um, and may maybe that's why he produced that rainbow flick. And maybe that's why, having scored the tap-in from Douglas Costa's cross with the last kick of the game, he collapsed in tears because he like, finally got what he wanted, the goal. But equally, he knew deep down that it wasn't, it wasn't his win in quite the way he wanted. But I, but I guess ultimately that speaks to the bigger issue, which is that Brazil, you know, Brazil are improving. They were better than they were against Switzerland. But they're not, they're not there yet. They haven't produced a, a complete performance yet, and neither has Neymar. But there is still an awful le lot left to come from this team. They will now, it's, very, almost, it's very difficult now to see them not getting through to the last 16. And I think we're all looking forward to seeing a bit more from them then. But I think they'll struggle against, uh, they might struggle against teams that, that stretch them, that, that, that counter them effectively down, down the wings and, and exploit that space that, well, today Fagner and, and Marcelo tend to leave behind them when they go and attack. I think he, you're going back to the start of the game, but for the first 20 minutes, it's easy to forget that Costa Rica were actually the better side. They were, they were really well organised and, and they, they, well, they had the best chance of the game. And if, if a, a slightly better side, a slightly more cogent attacking side that's prepared to, to put a bit of enterprise into it, starts to attack them, we'll, we'll kind of see what this Brazil defence is made of. Um, that's something that we're all looking forward to. But tomorrow, Johnny and I fly from St. Petersburg to Moscow to Nizhny Novgorod for the England game on Sunday. So we'll be updating you again with our thoughts on the podcast on Saturday evening. Bye. We will talk to them tomorrow. Um, I didn't realise it is already that soon. England play Panama on Sunday in... Uh, where's that? Is that Kaliningrad or is that that's, Nizhny? That's Nizhny. That's Nizhny, where, where you just came back from. I just came back from Nizhny. Um... So what did you... Uh, let's get your thoughts on Brazil... Uh, don't drop anything. Uh, you just get your thoughts on Brazil-Costa Rica first. Um, you weren't impressed with Brazil against Switzerland. Today, I think they were, they were slightly better, full stop. They were also just... You know, they got the result today, which I guess is the difference between... They were better than Switzerland, but today they were better than Costa Rica. It looked like they were going to get frustrated for ages and ages and ages and ages and ages. And then two goals in stoppage time uh, makes all the difference. So, so where are you standing on them now? Uh, I suppose they showed perseverance. And I think this was the interesting... In fact, Frank de Boer kind of pointed it out in his column for us. 
uh, the other day that this is he, he said he expected all the big teams to step up because quality will tell and the, the kind of pressure of needing to do things and I think Brazil did show impressive perseverance I think they still seem very overrated from how they were talked up before the tournament but there is that backbone there and they're kind of they're off to a good start they're, off, they're, sorry, they're up and running now after the win um, and I, I, they still look a bit I mean as if they can be physically bullied like against Switzerland and as, and as well as that they're still, they're still so whiny I feel, even though like there's only four members of that squad who were in the uh, 2014 team and Chicho was meant to kind of get rid of that mentality after the, after the 7-1 all that. It's, it's still it's still what we saw throughout most of 2014 is still there this just this whining and this this refusal to take responsibility and this complaint I mean this is supposed to be a physically strong team and it's complaining about everything they are quite a whiny bunch um, I think they are a good team I, you know I said before the tournament I think they're really good um, what Chicho brings as the coach is um, they're going to be like his Corinthians team which weren't a team that scored loads and loads of goals they didn't smash teams 6-0 necessarily they were a team that against the better sides against you know they beat Chelsea in the <coughs> Club World Cup final and I think that this Brazil is, is better equipped to play against the top European sides than any Brazil side of the last probably 6-10 to 10 years uh, almost um, they are going to when they come up against the elite sides they're going to be ready I think that's what they've been preparing for um, I almost think they felt they didn't need to prepare for teams like Costa Rica because I think they just thought that their natural game would win out and it, it, it wasn't far off not winning out um, when it came to Coutinho what, 91 and then Neymar's goal at 93-94 minutes um, what, what do you think of the you know Johnny and Jack just then talked about Neymar feeling he needed to be the centre of attention um, the breaking down in tears at the end of the game. Do you feel that was genuine, or do you think that was performative? Um, performative, completely. I think uh, ultimately Neymar is a player that makes Cristiano Ronaldo look humble at this point. I think he must be the most narcissistic in world football. Uh, and it feels like at PSG. It's not good for his game, and I'm not sure it's good for the Neymar persona either, because it feels like he has to play up to these theatrics. I mean, a two 0 win over Costa Rica. Come on. Like it's, well, we had a really, really good uh, Neymar chat. When was that? Must have been like a month ago. That was, was that post Champions League final, but pre World Cup. Yeah. Oh we, yeah, yeah. We did a, a big section on Neymar. His gold coat. Yeah. Well, the parties. Yeah. yeah. Well, Unai Emery left at left at ten p.m. and then Neymar party for three more days. Something for Arsenal. I think. Uh, yeah. I, no. I, you know. I felt bad for Costa Rica because they did defend so well. Particularly for Kadon Navas, who um, I wrote about today, I think is a just such an underappreciated goalkeeper. He's a, a kind of in the shade given mould, I guess, but like much, much better. Yeah, uh, obviously. And one, you know, if you think, uh, what I, I wrote in the piece is 2015. He was part of that De Gea deal that fell through member, memorably on on deadline day, and um, they were trying to get him out then, and they've been trying to get him out ever since. And he's won three Champions Leagues back to back. You know. If the keeper was the weak link of the team, that doesn't happen. At no point do you ever watch Real Madrid and think Keylor Navas is the weak link. Like it just doesn't occur to you because he, he's been so solid ever since. Um, you know they've been trying to sign De Gea, trying to sign De Gea. Eventually De Gea becomes outreached. Uh, Florentino decides he wants to get Kepa instead. 
Um, has a deal lined up for Kepa in January. And Zidane, who's only been there for two and a half years, or in fact it was two years in January, he's won two Champions Leagues already and has enough power to be able to say, no, I want to stick with Navas. But only because Zidane has won two Champions Leagues does he have the power to say that, basically. And then this summer, it looks very likely they're going to go for Alisson or, or Thibaut Courtois. Um, so what, like, you know, it's frustrating that they decide that they don't want him, but eventually one club is going to pick up Kaylon Navas for no money and they're going to get a very, very good goalkeeper. A bit like the um, 2009 situation with Real Madrid where, you know, suddenly players like Robben and Schneider were up for grabs. Uh, yeah, um, and, and actually it's, it's why Costa Rica as well, they could have a big say in this group yet. I mean, this, this, it, it, that, that, that's going to be a very interesting final side game. Serbia having to be Brazil, Costa Rica, uh, well, they, they could frustrate Switzerland. This, this still I think so, the Serbians... Uh, I've seen feel they blew it. They blew it today. They probably did, yeah. I mean, to be honest, they're one nil up and then they've thrown that away. Oh, so they they really transformed second half as well, where they went from looking very exciting and kind of mobile to then playing route one. So now we think Switzerland are favourites to go through. It's, it's one, it, it does look like we could have a real majority European last sixteen at the moment. Okay, let's look at. Uh, let me bring up the tables because um, I haven't really thought about that. But that is, well, I guess it, it, it's a, a symptom of. Uh, so in in Group A, Russia and Uruguay are through. That's confirmed. It's only what order they go through in. Group B, Spain and Portugal are most likely though. Iran could spring a shock. Group C, France and Denmark though Australia could spring a shock. Group D, Croatia, um, top the group. I get. Well, should we talk about the other game that happened in Group D today, the leftover game? So after last night's stunning events in Nizhny Novgorod, at which, of course, you were present, mm-hmm. Argentina needed Nigeria to go and beat Iceland today, um, and they went and did it. Ahmed Musa with two goals. Um, one of them, a sensational sort of. Is that your phone or mine? It's mine. It's mine. Sorry. That's right. Um, Thanks to my friend of the podcast, Martin Griffin. Oh, well, I mean, Scotland will never qualify for a World Cup. So. Um, <laughs> World War. Uh, grits. Uh, no, no, I don't want to talk about Grits. Uh, Nigeria <laughs> beat Iceland. Ahmed Musa with uh, two goals. The first one, a, a wonderful volley that you uh, you missed, but you just watched the highlights of them quite impressed by. And the second one, I don't know why I think this, but it, I think it's a classic World Cup goal in the way that it, it's the way he just absolutely outgasses a European defender mm. and dribbles it past the goalkeeper but then I was watching it live and I thought he's going to smash this into one of the defenders and he just took that extra kind of half second tiny bit of composure that was needed buries it Nigeria win Iceland now on one point uh, Nigeria on three points so on the final day Argentina play Nigeria both sides know that a win could take them through. Iceland are going to play a rotated Croatia side, and they know a win will take them through. But Croatia realistically need a point just to secure the top of the group. So, what do you think? Um, Argentina were so bad that I really don't expect anything from them. And I've gone from kind of... They've bottomed out. Yeah. They can't get worse than that, can they? I don't know. I mean, I've gone from kind of like before the Croatia game, kind of willing them, because for many reasons, because of Argentina, because of Messi willing them to kind of get through and just do it and after the game kind of thinking if take away this tournament loses nothing which is a remarkable thing to say about Messi but he do I mean from everything we've heard from the camp he does look um, 
he, the whole, broken. It, it, it looks like this this whole project is spent, and it, as if he's kind of he he's a, like mentally run it's mentally run its course this whole thing because after so much disappointment so much dependency on it, as if he like he drags him here then he gets here and he sees this shambles as if he's kind of withdrawn into himself but maybe i suppose if they think they were gone if they thought they were gone that's when you get this jolt where hang on we're still in this you never know what that can do they could kind of you know reawaken them all um but i, I didn't see the ice in nigeria again because i actually quite quite, quite a, a moment at the world cup's all about I had a flight at 6.40pm Russian time, which is just as half time yeah. was about to come. And we touched down at about 25 to 8 in Moscow, just when there was 10 minutes left. I was with loads of Argentine fans because they were going from Nizhny through, to, through Moscow to St. Petersburg because it's very hard to get direct flights anywhere that doesn't go down through Moscow in this, in this country. Um, but the Argentina fans, um, obviously, as, as we were coming, 10 minutes, from, 10 minutes from landing, they obviously started to get coverage on their phones and check the score. And uh, burst into song, and uh, you know, we, Nigeria, we love you. Um, uh, you have to win. You know, every day we love you more. Well, they they may not on Tuesday, but um, yeah, you can you can actually see that on my Twitter where I posted the video. I, well, uh, some flawless self promotion from you there. Um, do we think Argentina have it in them? Because the the look of Messi for me is someone that has almost lost interest. In, I think I, he looks like he's completely and utterly removed from the the Argentina like project. You know, it's, this is a guy who, lest we forget, retired from international football, had to be convinced to come back out of international retirement. You know, he suffered that heartbreak of losing the three finals in in three summers. So now you've got a guy who just hasn't looked himself since he's been here and. Uh, someone who's, who's who knows Messi well and is around the Argentina camp said that the Leo I know has not come to Russia, which is kind of you know shocking, but also kind of not that surprising if you have been watching the football. Yeah, you know yeah. that we haven't seen. You know, I guess it's not that uncharacteristic actually in, in terms of his his recent penalty form for him to miss that penalty against uh, Iceland, but. It's one of the, that was one of the quietest Messi games I've ever seen against Croatia. I, like you know, and I've I've seen a lot of Messi. And I just don't remember a game where he's done that little. That's what shocked me more than anything. I mean, obviously there's been this wider debate about Messi and his influence and Ronaldo and all all this nonsense. But um, I mean, I saw some some bizarre tweet from some of these work for the BBC about how. Messi shrinks for Argentina and disappears, whereas Ronaldo grows three times. I mean, that's that's ridiculous. Um, in fact, actually, this is quite an interesting inversion of the last World Cup, where Ronaldo scored a hat trick or four goals of runs to get them there. Then there's nothing at the tournament. Messi's done the same, and then nothing at the tournament. But anyway, besides all that, basically, I mean, what what was still most astonishing about the game because I think Messi is the ultimate clutch player. When it got to one nil or two nil, and whatever about the system, I was stunned that he didn't just kind of decide on himself to just dragged him out get himself into the centre get involved and just at least try to do it the fact that he had so few touches was amazing and it does maybe point to this that it feels like he's just, just something's changed now and he's almost just subconsciously just demotivated with this whole situation and like I do have a certain sympathy for him because it's, it's a, I mean first of all Argentina are arguably the biggest basket cases in world football even more than England I would say yeah. neurotically kind of crushed by their own history and all that pressure 
which means so many, so many of these great players they had in 2010 to a lesser extent 2014 um, almost played within themselves for Argentina and Messi kind of dragged them out of that but then it had this inverse effect where then it created more and more of a dependence on Messi more and more of these players bizarrely shrunk for Argentina until we get to this bizarre point where suddenly Messi has to, dra- has to drag them through. I mean the stats from qualifying are ridiculous what they, they, out of 8 games they won 1 without Messi mm-hmm. got something like 7 points out of 8 then with Messi they got 21 points out of a possible 30 so he, like, he really has taken them here and then, I mean, and then it's almost like we've reached a break where he, he, he can take them no more it's, and as well as that there's the consequence of I suppose years of dysfunction in Argentine football have like inevitably led to this I mean it's it's something I've already got an idea for something to write when they eventually go out this tournament whether that's on Tuesday or or whether that's in the semi-finals um, because there's so much more to this there's so much more to what's going on around the Argentina camp you know they, the reason they've cycled through coaches there is a detachment uh, between kind of some of the players and, and the national team anyway and that's before you remember Messi's individual case where yeah. he's had a, a peculiar relationship with with Argentina forever I mean I remember uh, the bicentennial celebration game September 2010 against Spain at the Monumental um, where he he kind of lit up a, a game in Argentina for the first time and it was the first time the Argentine crowd had really sung his name and it was seen as like a watershed moment mm-hmm. it's like by that point he'd already won Barcelona like several Champions Leagues he was already the, like the best player on the planet at that point so like they you know it, t- it took them a while it took them a while to really appreciate who he is and, and what he is and I just wonder I, I do wonder sometimes uh, and this this World Cup has really hammered it home is if he just feels more part of Barcelona than he does as part of Argentina. I was thinking that today, actually. I mean, well, he's, lived, he's lived in Barcelona since he was, what, 12? 13, yeah. 12, 13, I mean, most of his life, his formative years. <laughs> he, you know, he's, he's incredibly happy in Barcelona. He's got his family there. Um, he's surrounded by his friends. He's got, uh, you know, as I say, kids and a uh, lovely wife. And he's got everything he could ever want. Um and I just don't think you know like even he said like his dream is to go back to Rosario and play for Newell's Old Boys and I just don't see I don't see a scenario where it can happen almost um, I don't know how someone of Messi's super 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 stardom almost can go back to living in Argentina mm. um, I was there in March and, and it, you know it's not I mean it's, it's a safe country it's a safe country but there are still like significant issues um, and I just can't really envision it happening. It would be great. I mean, even if he could barely walk, he would still be so far above the level of the Argentinian League. It would be farcical. But um, we've gone way off track. Um, So that group is actually fairly well set up. Um, Group E, Brazil, Switzerland, Serbia, Costa Rica. The thing to note about this group, actually, Miguel, is uh, that if Brazil... It's if Brazil win the group, they're possibly going to face Germany in the round of 16. Because, as we know, Sweden and Mexico won their opening games, and then uh, Germany and South Korea lost. We've got Mexico versus South Korea this weekend. Oh, this is Saturday, um, which might well be the game that sends Mexico through. In which case, you're looking at Sweden and Germany battling for for second place and that would be 
to face Brazil in the next round. Now, I want to know where you stand. Do you want maybe one absolute blockbuster round of 16 clash, or do you just want all the good teams to stay in as long as possible? Uh, I prefer all the good teams staying as long as possible. I mean, we don't want to get into a 2002 situation where suddenly, yes, all the shocks are good, and then the last few games are underwhelming. Um, and, and also because the kind of mid-tier sides will inevitably run out of steam and then they'll kind of be picked off exactly what happens. Uh, maybe one blockbuster, which we could well have if it's France-Argentina. But Germany-Brazil, even if the Germans have had problems and Brazil have had problems, I still think they're good enough that it's a bit too early for a, for a game like that. They're two teams that you want to see get a bit of momentum behind them and then actually hit their stride. Because Germany-Brazil sounds to me like, if you'd said at the start of the tournament, that's going to be the World Cup final. That must have been yeah. among the two or three most likely yeah. combinations for the World Cup final. Uh, Jack Pitbrook did say earlier to us that he had simulated the, uh, the rest of the World Cup. And he said there was a massive advantage in coming second in Group G, not first. Group G being England's group. Um, and the reasoning is there that if Germany don't come at top of Group F, then if you come top of Group uh, Group G, uh, which England are playing to at the moment, you would face the winner of Brazil versus Germany if that were to happen uh, in the Kazan quarterfinal, uh, which is nasty. Whereas if you do come second in that group, then things become a lot easier. And, and so England or Belgium might have a palm draw purely because of um, Germany's screw-up. So it's something to monitor. Um, tomorrow's game is mixed. We're going to go to Belgium against Panama. Uh, are we just expecting a, an easy enough win for the Belgians? Yes, I think it'll batter them. Oh no, I don't know. Um, Belgium, Tunisia. <laughs> Belgium, Tunisia. <laughs> uh, they play Panama. Um, I think because I think Tunisia will be much better than they were in the first half of the first game, where it felt like they had a bit of stage fright. It did improve. Yeah, they right? did improve. I think so. They, I think it could have be a longish night for Belgium until they get that first goal, then it could be two, three nil. Um, it, it doesn't seem like that fun a game to me um, we've also got yeah as I said Mexico South Korea so Mexico um, one of my favourite stories of the tournament so far I've written about Rafael Marquez who has uh, to say the least a complicated legacy um, he, he did go up into the Mount Olympus of World Cup players uh, on Sunday afternoon when he played in his fifth World Cup only the third player ever to play in five World Cups but he is also um, wanted under the rather grand sounding and I can't remember the exact uh, what's the exact terminology of this he is wanted under the Narcotic Kingpin Act um, he's blacklisted uh, by the American Department of the Treasury no American businesses or individuals can come into contact with him for fear of sanctions uh, something I realised um, when I saw our friend Josh from the Wall Street Journal trying to um, yeah. interview him in the mix zone, and I wondered if that actually contravened, because Mexico has been so sensitive about this that he's drinking from separate water bottles to, to certain players. Um, he is sometimes having to stay in separate hotels, like he could not, for example, stay in a Hilton. Um, and it's a, you know, it's a big concern. They're doing everything possible to make sure that he doesn't contravene these things he's had all of his assets in America frozen he did play for the New York Red Bulls for two years between 2010 and 2012 um, and he's got a soccer school the Charitable Foundation all of that assets frozen um, while his lawyers work with the Department of the Treasury to try and um, uh, 
get over this misunderstanding, which is uh, that he was supposedly linked to uh, Edson Flores, who's a big uh, alleged drug trafficker uh, from Mexico. So yeah, Rafael Marquez is an interesting one because he, he does bring a lot of, obviously, experience. Um, and that's why Azorio brought him on five minutes ago, just a defensive midfielder to sit in there and kind of keep everyone calm. 39 years old. Um, he is already playing international football. I was about to move to Monaco when the youngest player in the World Cup, Daniel Artsani, uh, was born. So uh, there you go, Rafael Marquez. And Sweden versus Germany, Miguel. So Germany absolutely have to win this. Sweden, with a win in their pocket, can probably sit on a draw, you'd say. So um, this does have potential for, for being a massive result if Sweden can get a draw, which, let's be honest, is not beyond them. Yes, well, I think Germany will have a big reaction to what happened last week. And you can kind of sense it from what's been said from the camp. Neuer talking about these stern words. I think they'll be primed and... I think it'll turn it on. I think it actually pump Sweden's a bit harsh because Sweden because they're going to dismiss Sweden. But if the Germans are properly revved, I think they can. I was impressed with the way Germany dealt with it straight after the game. I felt they, you know, they're very confident in their own ability. They're confident in their process, um, and they and I think they've made all the right noises, kind of as as you suggested. Uh, I just don't. I think Sweden are a fairly solid team. Like one of their strengths is that they're just reliably well organised. Um, they've not got a lot of pace to hit you on the counter attack. The thing that absolutely sliced and diced the Germans was Mexican speed on the mm-hmm. on the counter with with that front three exposing the space behind the fullbacks. Now I don't expect them to ever leave that much space behind the fullbacks again. It was just ridiculous. Um, but equally, they could do against Sweden because. Their most dangerous player, I think, in terms of just pure creativity and talent, is Forsberg. Um, mm. But he's not a speedy winger necessarily. He's someone who drifts inside and and can make things happen. And he's got, you know, he's got a good strike in him in terms of technically he hits the ball well, crossing, passing, or or, or shooting. So I would, pro- if I was Germany, uh, you know, I wouldn't change too much. I mean, they can't go with the absolute gung ho fullbacks like they did last time. Maybe a, a tweak of personnel. I, I'd consider getting Kadira out of there and playing Gundogan instead. Yeah, uh, Kadira just didn't have the legs to play the box-to-box role um, against the Mexicans. He was just exposed every single time. Um, and yeah, I mean, if they are better, then it's good for the World Cup. And if they're not, then it's a great story that the Germans could be crashing out of the group stage. Yeah, completely. Um, but I think they will get better. I really can't see them going out early. You've got a lot, a lot of faith in, yeah, in Yogi. I actually, I'm not even a massive Yogi Lowe fan. I think he's kind of surfed uh, this ridiculous... Um, Wave of talent. Yeah, this, yeah. This, this conveyor belt of talent to a certain extent. But I think they'll, they'll, they'll have enough. Yeah. Um, do you want to do any sort of England preview now? Or do you just want to wait until uh, tomorrow? The guy said uh, they'll check in tomorrow from Nizhny. Um, the big story of the day has been Gareth Southgate... Um, criticising the the media that published the was it the story the other day? Take it was a, a paparazzi picture taken from a long lensed camera of Steve Holland's notepad, which revealed the team, and loads of people splashed it across their back pages. I mean, not us. Um, but there's been a kind of spat. People defending their right to do that and and not. Uh, I mean, for me, it just. I just find the whole thing so boring. Like I, yeah. I don't think uh, the media should be cheerleaders. 
yeah, I mean, you know, two things are first of all, I mean, does this a for for basically decades the big story in tournaments for the English press. In fact, I've never really noticed it. I haven't worked in the Irish press, or even the Spanish press, as much. But the big thing, the big scoop is to get the team the day before the game. I remember a story about, I think, at Italia 90, or one of the tournaments when two, two, two journalists were high-fiving each other when they saw the team because they'd got it right. Um, and yeah, so that's, a, that's been a huge thing for decades. And yet it's something that, first of all, the public has never seen that bothered about. Uh, I, do, I mean, A, do, do, do they really care? Okay, fair enough, they're interested in kind of, oh, will he play, will he play? But in terms of someone having the team spot on the day before, A, the public, it's, they're not that bothered, but secondly here it seems like there's a proper anger because it amounts to giving away you know trade secrets or whatever or you know it, it almost just talk about like espionage level or as if we're at war now that is going over the top and I think for all of that it, people have to remember that there has to be a separation between journalist and subject and if info falls into your hands <laughs> that might be a bit of a stretch in this case but if you like you, there is almost, I mean, obviously context matters and context changes things, but there's almost an ethical duty to print in that regard because otherwise you're not a journalist, you're PR. And what's in the public, what, what, the public's interest is different to what's in the public interest, if you get me. Um, and really, the publication of info or relevant info or facts should should trump all, really. I mean, we're we're not at war, and even and even if we were we were at war, I can't believe I'm going into yeah. these lengths. But I mean, no nobody wants to subserve. We had a subservient meeting in that regard, and you know, you you stuff like kind of uh, abuse, Abu Ghraib wouldn't wouldn't come out. But, yeah, but yeah. I'm going way off tangent there. But yeah, so ultimately, the ethics of the press, I, I I can understand people being irritated about the story, but the ethics of the press should not be bent because people are concerned about giving away the secrets of the football team. But at the same time, this all feels overblown because most people don't really care about about the setting lineup. Yeah, it's just you know people on the internet like to get angry about something. Um, as I said, there are there are lots of people I can tell are spoiling for a fight about it. And people trying to get me into an argument about it, and, and I, I reiterate, I don't care. Um, like I really don't think. And the best example I have of of why, um, as I say, like I, I really don't think it's. I, I just don't think it's an issue. Everyone could have guessed this team anyway. Panama uh, know exactly what the team is going to be, roughly, as it is. This happened to Spain. They snapped um, Hierro's notepad uh, last week. Um, it's ha- Argentina, everyone, like Belgium, They all the press reveals the team to every country. It's not like just an England thing. But the best example um, I can give you is sat next to me. Um, why should Miguel, who's half Irish and half Spanish have the best interest of the England football team at heart. His job is to break news and report on football. And if he got wind through a contact that well, Danny Welbeck was going to start... Well, we regularly do with Manchester United. Yeah, no, I know we do. Um, and, but it's my point, is if you got wind that Danny Welbeck was going to start for, an, for a contact and then we managed to confirm that via other sources, bang, right, we do the story. So, like, well, actually, if, I, the tabloid, if the tabloids have got a picture yeah. that, that does it, um, that, that reveals the team and they want to do it then like I, and especially the tabloids where like you know that's very much more there in their arena you know yeah. then, then go like go for it like if you like if you want to do it do it like if you're if you're worried about losing all your access and the, and the mm. cosy stuff with the players 
then like that's the decision you, well, you can oh, make. But also, this, I mean, there's been you know, a lot of this was going to talk about you know how, how trust is broken in the relation of the players, but that's kind of bollocks because there has to be a stand. I mean, what happens if it comes to it where someone in, someone in the England team or or someone involved does something that has to be criticised? Then then. <laughs> Well, that's why there has to be it's a also absolute bollocks so I was talking to someone who's at England camp today and said like the players are just completely normal and fine the players don't care it's just it's people who like to get angry about well, stuff well, also what's even what really is more relevant to this issue is when say and this happens all the time when a player is told the day before that he's dropped or whatever he obviously tells the people around him yeah. and then it leaks through that yeah that always happens and and, and as I say like, I think you know, you as a person are a very good example of why it's absolute nonsense. This, the sort of patriotism angle, with yeah. the sort of, you know, like the, as if it's going to damage the nation, sort of thing. You know, it means nothing to you. Yeah. Um. And, and ironically, the, the people who are who are covering England, who uh, many fans have, have made this great betrayal. Many of them are far bigger England fans than I am. You know, <laughs> they 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 really care about England's well, results. Whereas, uh, like. You know, I've slightly switched off in recent years. I, I care much more about my club than I do about the England national team. It's not I dislike the England national team, but I'm certainly not, you know, kind of like face paint and, and banging the drum sort of thing. So I, I think there is a a slight kind of misunderstanding, but it's also, as I say, it's not something I think is interesting. Like during the World Cup, and people are arguing about press ethics uh, on a day when I'd much rather be watching a well, great game between Serbia and Switzerland Brazil play Costa Rica Neymar getting absolutely mowed down by like Celso Borges or Nigeria just running right against Iceland well it also shows how swimmingly everything's gone for England <laughs> that if this is an issue then <laughs> there's no issue yeah there will be teacups and there will be storms um, and that storm might be a hurricane See what I did there? Um, I think that's everything for today. Go on. I think England will be Panama 5 0. England will be Panama 5 0. Um, and if you want to bet on that, then head over to, to Paddy Power, our sponsors. Um, they will give you all you need to know, uh, all the best bets, and uh, all the other things you do to make loads of money. So uh, until that, uh, tomorrow, when we will be previewing England at length with Johnny and Jack in Nizhny Novgorod, uh, I've been Ed Malley and this has been the Indie Football Podcast. And I'll talk to you tomorrow. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.